Good morning, everyone. Here we still are. <laughs> so, uh, continuing um, today with our contemplation of uh, of the yoga of the heart, and um, remembering it doesn't mean that suddenly we just have to have rose-tinted thoughts and feelings. That actually. Um, paradoxically sometimes when we start to practice metta we can feel an, an extreme extreme amount of aversion <laughs> and resistance and it's all those those places in us that uh, come up to be met um, and often when when they when they become quite intense when we do feel some of those patternings that arise and they feel difficult to be with, the mind's tendency, and we can really explore and learn a lot around this, because the mind's tendency is to be quite projective, the jitta, the agency of projection is this jitta, this uh, this mind that's patterned and feels and is sensitive, it do, uh, loses touch with its original uh, <coughs> luminosity and, uh, and intelligence, and so... Uh, so it tends to project outwardly um, onto others, uh, if not exactly immediately here, then then some old memory of resentment, something it projects and cons- consolidates there, and then we, f- we inflame uh, a complexity, this papancha, this proliferation, get tangled, or uh, it projects inwardly and onto a self, creates a bad self, and... Um, Psychologically, the way that the self develops, the sense of self, very necessary psychological development for us to negotiate the world <coughs> as successfully as we can. And there are places we find inacceptable feelings and uh, that we, we find deeply unacceptable to us, or if we allow ourselves to feel them, can threaten the coherency of the self. We can sort of break it apart, strong feelings of rage or despair or you know, some very, very primitive, we might call primitive, primal feeling tones. And so we sort of sometimes defend against that and gets that peace gets repressed into what Carl Jung called the shadow. And then uh, when this projective agency starts to happen, capacity of the mind, when we can't tolerate what's arising, then it consolidates around the badness Internal, internalized badness, places where we feel shame or guilt, which in Buddhist understanding is considered um, um, not a skillful mind state, uh, rather than a flagellating, self-flagellating, just realizing this is energy skillful, these kinds of uh, places in the self-structure that get inflamed and consolidated uh, through this internal narr- these internal narratives, sabotaging narratives of badness and, and, and uh, lack of worth and hopelessness and all of those kinds of um, subliminal and sometimes not so subliminal can be ranting away at us, hammering away um, about not being good enough. So then when we apply metta and these lovely thoughts and compassion and, and then we find ourselves feeling even more averse <laughs> or those places come up actually to be met by metta we can 
it's in struggle and think, oh, it's going wrong, I should be loving and kind and actually I just feel like a grumpy old bag. <laughs> just <laughs> can't stand anyone. <laughs> My loving all beings, it's like, you know, could you all just back off and <laughs> give me my space? <laughs> you know, get irritable and you know so and this is this is the purification of all beings, including these internal beings that that um, come up for air. So in this uh, this practice, we we allow for we always start with how it is rather than how it should be. We allow for what we're going to work with how it is in each session, each moment, each part of the day, um, and bring to that as this great wisdom of the Buddha, really beginning with with ourself. You know, so many of us in our daily lives are holding so much for so many others and I know many of you work in very challenging spheres in this country and in the world you know holding ir- irresolvable and intractable issues and processes and dynamics and so one's always out there holding juggling trying to find the best way against all odds and sometimes feeling um, the impossibility of it so we have a chance in this protected space to allow ourselves to take that time to bring that metta, that kindness to this to ourselves and to all the all of the struggles we have and all of the places in ourselves that are, are so hard to to tolerate and accept and soften around, um, and to remember that uh, if we can own and withdraw the projective tendency, or at least. Uh, subdue it a bit then it helps us gather back what is actually stuck energy and that can be transmuted from places of constriction and sabotage and self-blame and all those painful places we all share none of us are free from those kinds of conditioning that those in locked in those kinds of constructs are actually also our life energy which is to do with our capacity for creativity and and uh, energy and brightness and beauty and and humor and love and uh, tolerance and all of these beautiful human qualities that are our birthright but so so this these qualities of the heart when we practice as we chanted this morning the brahma vihara Brahma is a divinity, Vihara, to dwell, to dwell in the divine. These are actually human qualities that sort of have the taste of what we sometimes assume as divine, something from the gods that um, informs our human expression. So these are natural and inherent, these Brahma-viharas. Many qualities are inherent within the purified heart in response to the world. The ones, these primary ones, loving-kindness, compassion, joy and belief and holding to the goodness of life, equanimity, serenity, but there are many, many others. Truth, fearlessness, courage, strength, um, many wholesome qualities inherent already in the diamond 
radiancy of the heart and they become uncovered as the obstructions dissolve and are transformed but they also can be consciously cultivated as a yoga as a practice and particularly in response to to the opposites to the places that are where there is ill will or harshness division meanness of spirit and reactivity so as Ajahn Chah would say there's no point just practicing these things in abstract you know that if there wasn't any obstruction or desire then there would be no potentiality for cultivation of the path of wisdom and and, uh, these uh, compassion qualities so rather than seeing what obstructs us as a, as a drag, something bad about me, something wrong with someone else, we see, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a sharpening stone, as he would say. It's a potentiality to still develop for us personally and now perhaps even collectively. Each challenge is a potential for us to evolve from our stuckness, from our old patterns, from our old stories, our old prejudices. And these these Brahma-viharas, as they're cultivated consciously, they're considered protective, actually. They protect the mind and heart from the impingement, either arising from our own material or from what touches us and sometimes threatens to overwhelm us as through our contact in the, within the relational field. We are relational beings and we will always be in relationship to something, even ourselves. And, and particularly within the flow of everyday life. And because of that, because we're in relational field, we, we are susceptible to being affected by others and the currents that are around us the mind can be flooded so the mind the protective, the samadhi that we've been cultivating which is the underpinning for this cultivation of the Brahmaviharas, some steadiness it's like the mind when there's no samadhi it's like it's touched by an impingement and it's like a coloured water. This is one of the analogies for the hindrances, like a colour in clear water, it colours the whole mind. And you find oneself embroiled. But with some samadhi, that same impingement might touch us. A difficult memory, a difficult noise, a painful sensation. And it's like it might wobble, the mind might wobble, like something touched, not a great analogy, but maybe touches honey, sort of wobbles, but it won't penetrate, it won't, you know, it maintains its own coherency. The heart can maintain its own well-being. So this is one of the fruits of samadhi as we've been contemplating, but also one of the fruits of uh, the Brahma-viharas. Not only is what is touched is withstood but is able to respond and perhaps with the opposite from hatred to love from resistance to suffering to compassion from being caught in constriction to 
and, and negativity and it's all hopeless to appreciating the beauty and the joyful and the goodness <coughs> inherent here from being completely overwhelmed and caught up to understanding a, the depth of uh, there is a depth of peace, serenity, equanimity that's possible. Once the Blessed One was staying at Savati in the Jetavana Grove, monks supposed there were a sharp-bladed spear and a person were to come along saying, with my hand or fist, I will bend back this sharp-bladed spear, fold it in two and roll it up. What do you think? Would that person be able with his hand or fist to bend back that sharp-bladed spear, fold it in two and roll it up? No, Lord. Why is that? Because a sharp-bladed spear isn't easy to bend back, roll in two or fold in two or roll up. The person would simply reap their share of trouble and vexation. In the same way, monks, disciples, practitioners, when a disciple's awareness is cultivated through goodwill, loving-kindness, the Brahma Viharas, developed, pursued, handed the reins and taken as a basis, given as a grounded, steady, consolidated and well undertaking, any one, any, here's got non-human, I think in that world view often um, obstructive states of mind were considered not only to arise from the impurity of the mind but also from outside spirits. But any force however we understand that force arising, that would think of possessing that monk's mind, that practitioner's mind, would simply reap their share of trouble and vexation. Thus you should train yourself. Our awareness cultivated through goodwill, through loving-kindness, the Brahma-Viharas, will be developed, pursued, handed the reins and taken as a basis, given a grounded, grounding, steady, consolidated and well undertaken. That's how you should train yourself. So again, we're back to this moment, uh, this um, principle of moments of path activity of training. This is a training in this moment. Each is only in this moment we apply moments of this particular training in regard, say today, to the Brahma-Vihara grounded in our samadhi and gatheredness in relationship to our experience. So that any force or any in relation or field, any negativity, any tendency, any anything or anyone or any way that the mind can be overtaken, overwhelmed and caught up and subsumed <coughs> into the forces say of hatred, violence, greed, would not actually be able to happen from someone whose mind is well grounded in these qualities of, of the Brahma-Viharas. Instead that force would be vexated, or as the Buddha said in another time, if someone comes to give you a gift and you don't accept the gift, what happens to that gift? 
And the disciple says, well, it goes back to the giver. He says, same way, same way if someone comes and um, projects hatred and you don't accept that, what happens? You don't have to accept it. <laughs> it will go wherefore, back to wherever it's gone. And these, uh, this field of relational field is a field of projective material. Some of it is ours and some of it's just what's in the field, but a mind well grounded can withstand these projections without having to be subsumed by them and at the same time can help purify them, meet them with kindness, not fear them. So this is all within the realm of the, you know, the Buddhism's talked about as the two great wings of practice, the wing of com- uh, wisdom and the wing of compassion. So this is very much leaning more into the, this wing of compassion. And in the, the Brahma-viharas, the, the, we discussed some yesterday, this quality of metta, the ability at, at the most um, immediate and practical application, the ability not to dwell in aversion. So we feel it, we feel irritation, or we go back to that old story where they did they did me in, <laughs> whatever it is, and we can feel that resentment and anger. And instead of dwelling there and then making more and making more and making more, um, catch that tendency, it's a very human tendency to catch that and say, oh this is a moment to just meet that place not to dwell in aversion this is the training of the heart and then to start working training ourselves to um, transform that hatred through some of the practices we were doing yesterday and to extend kindness to offer freedom, letting go, forgiveness, giving back, letting be. Freeing the heart from this practice is considered that which helps to free the heart from fear and paranoia and ill will. A heart well developed in metta, the Buddha said, is is one that brings many blessings to the practitioner. The lessening of violence inability to um, be protected, to move through life with more ease. <coughs> Very similar to that, but it's a slightly different tone to it, uh, whereas metta, this first Brahma Vihara, is very universal. It aims to, to, to have that friendliness, loving-kindness, regardless of the tones and experiences with a, you know, a friend, uh, with a friend or with a, uh, an enemy, to more, be more equal. Whereas the second Brahma Vihara, which is a bit similar but has a different tone, is more, this compassion is more a resonance with suffering. It's a particular way of tuning in to the experience of suffering. It's a, diff- it's a tuning in that isn't so much, oh, I feel sorry for you, um, and sort of from a patronage or pity, well, that, that can be 
helpful sometimes. But it's the willingness at its most subtle level to feel with, to f- not to fear the experience of suffering, but to be willing to open. It's very profound, really. To tolerate and to stand with yourself in the suffering, but also with others, to stand with them. And, and as it develops, to seek to alleviate that suffering. So it's not just passive, it's also active to do what we can through our gifts and blessings and resources and ability. And it's upon that basis that the Buddha set forth to teach the Dhamma. It was just purely the being um, uh, motivated by compassion. It's the, you know, it wasn't because it was a great all of fun for him. <laughs> it was a real pain, <laughs> clearly. You know, again and again it was difficult. People contending, people arguing, the disciples splitting up, people trying to hijack stuff, betraying him, trying to kill him, endlessly arguing with him. You know, it's just like, well, who needs it? <laughs> you know, really. You know, it's why not just go off into the Himalayas and by sweet world, do a few yoga asanas and look at the sunrise, sunset, do a few mantras and leave it at that. Yeah, it's very appealing. <laughs> go to see a few movies, go to the beach, you know, just, yeah, goodbye sweet world, enjoy my little patch. But uh, it's, it's harder to do that as we awaken more deeply because we understand there's no ultimate distinction between me and other, you know, and therefore this compassion. You, know, you look at people like the Dalai Lama, or as mentioned the other day, Mr. Mandela, Aung San Suu Kyi, who held that place for Burma, Myanmar, as it went through its painful transitions, still going through. It's a great act of, of that quiet, in her case, meditative compassion under house arrest for 17 years or sometimes more active or Dalai Lama listening again and again and again to the Tibetans as they cross over the Himalayas one horrific story after another holding that, holding it actually going into the fray and fighting the good fight in whatever realms we fight the good fight for justice, for peace, for the alleviation of suffering, for equity. All of this is within this cultivation of the Brahma-Vihara. But as a practitioner here, it begins with us again. Can we tolerate suffering? Can we feel with it, listen into it, rather than just rigidify against In, in, in balance to that, the third Brahma Vihara is called Mudita, um, which is usually translated as sympathetic joy. Um, I quite uh, like to think of it as uh, sometimes you can think, well, I don't feel that joyful. <laughs> But, or maybe we do, maybe we feel really ecstatic and joyful, 
Um, so we can we know what joy is. You know, if it's it can even be very subtle. Often where we feel it, it's usually in nature. Say, for example, in good friendship, in good company. Or we feel those moments when we feel complete desire is in operating content. Those are very sort of quiet joys. And then we can feel ecstatic joys, really beautiful joys that can open the heart. Falling in love or a great accomplishment or, or seeing our child succeed at something. Uh, but this particular is an evolving quality, so it's also an equality where we don't only hold that for ourselves, but we extend that and learn to empathize with the joy that we um, and promote the joy of others, the happiness and success of others. So traditionally, it's taught as that which helps to overcome, you know, this this driven, competitive, envy, jealousy that so this you know so diminishes the human mind. And it's that those are natural, natural to feel those energies, jealousies, competition. And maybe there is a place for competition and that's another discussion. But even in spite of all of that, we can still look into the world if we have the capacity to promote the success of others, to promote their well-being. Um, then this is encouraged. And to rejoice in their success, not to want to just bring them down. We can see that place in the human mind. It's like, damn it, they're so successful. <laughs> I wish they'd just fall in a pit. <laughs> Usually when it's someone operating in the same sphere as us, it's blasted Dharma teachers. <laughs> they're so good. <laughs> so it brings up these sort of competitive feelings. You know, so and that's okay. That's honest to acknowledge those places, yeah, but we don't really want to can live from there. It's, it's ultimately it's diminishing. It's much more fun to say, well, if we all grow, then every everything grows. If everyone succeeds, everyone knows joy. Then the whole, then we all benefit ultimately. And to also, and more, you know, importantly, in this age that we're living, which is so one distressing news after the other, it's really ratcheting up in intensity and in crisis and in danger and in violence and in conflict every day, and you can just feel it's it's it's, it's hopeless. It's really hopeless. I I feel that sometimes. And then it's like when uh, in the Lord of the Rings, when that moment where um, Frodo is struggling towards Mordor with the ring, and he's very, very near, and he's just overwhelmed and can't hardly move and collapses, and says to Sam, his ever faithful attendant, who sort of represents in some way this good human heart, you know, what's the point? What's the point of all this? And it's a very human, it's a very sentiment we can all relate to. What's the point? It's all so difficult, it's all so bad. 
And um, Sam says, well, he says a lot of things that are very beautiful, like it's those old stories of old where we struggle, we struggle to um, to promote that which is good, to hold to that is good, because in spite of everything, there is goodness in this world, and it's worth fighting for. You know that. So this mudita is like to see that, see that in ourselves, not give up on ourselves ever. Whatever's going down, never ever give up on ourselves. There is goodness here. There's some really good, good qualities in all of us. Our intentions are good. It's like that reading I the other day from my friend uh, Elizabeth Madsen from um, who was uh, attacked by that man, and she just held his hand and says, "You're a good man. You're a good person." Reminding him, and he heard it. You know, he got it. However, even the most horrific serial killer at the time of the Buddha, Angulimala, killed 99 people. He was about to kill his mother. And the Buddha stopped him just before he did that. And he, 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 he awakened, actually. He became awakened. He still had some pretty difficult karma to live through. But even he would have said, you're a good man. Whatever you've done, whatever's happened, in spite of it all, and there is horrors, we know, in spite of all of that, there is still goodness here in us, around us, in this world, and to that we must cleave, we must hold to, we must see, we must keep reminding ourselves. And this is the cultivation of this divine abiding. Realistically, not just a pink cloud that we float above on, we need to see it, uh, but to hold still. And then underneath, or prof- most profound, uh, the last Brahma Vihara, which appears in many of the lists, the Paramita list, the spiritual perfection list, in the factors of awakening list, as the, in the trajectory of awakening. This is a very important doorway for us to consider, which is Upeka, this fourth Brahma Vihara, this equal-mindedness, equal-heartedness, profound serenity, profound letting go. The word literally means to look over. It's like having a very large gaze. So you're not so caught in the immediacy of the struggle. You know, we get so... Sometimes I do that with the climate change, climate crisis, climate emergency. You know, like there's an immediacy of the struggle. We should, you know, put the attention here, support that activism against Keystone Pipeline or against, there's so many different aspects of it, keeping the fossil fuels in the ground, helping to promote moving more to a plant-based diet, helping to consider how we can live within a more realistic means, so we don't need six planets to support seven billion people is unrealistic. But then I have moments and I think, you know, I think it's all going to go down. (laughs) I don't see how we're not going to (laughs) stop. It's very serious. 
you know, and as each piece of new science comes in, the timeline gets, you know, we think, oh, okay, a few more decades, but it's not. It's not actually anymore. You know, the, 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 the process is becoming irreversible, and there's going to be big consequences already. So then sometimes my mind will go, well, you know, this mountain here is 20, 200, I don't know, 20 million years or whatever. I don't know, 1 million, 200 million years is about the same to me. <laughs> it's like a long time. <laughs> you know, six extinctions, already been five. You know, and my mind will go that big. It can, the mind can do that. That's possible. That's a possibility. We could be living at the cusp of uh, a great extinction. This happened before. Why do we think, because we're humans, that we're some super beings that will avoid that? We don't forget that nature is in control, always has been. So then, you know, that's a place of equanimity. It's a place of terror. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> grow the vegetables and get your soda. You know, it's like. <laughs> But you sort of, as you get through the reactivity, it's a place of like, well, it's not up to, you know, we'll do what we can, but there's a bigger force here, bigger forces now. And so to have a heart that can withstand even the ultimate dance of Shiva as the whole systems that we've been reliant on potentially collapse, can still know there is the uncreated. There is the unborn. There is peace. And that is the refuge. And this is equanimity. This is the, the contemplation. Whereas the contemplation of metta is not to dwell in aversion, may all beings be well. The contemplation of compassion is may all beings be free from suffering, may I work to alleviate suffering. The contemplation of mudita is may all beings, may I rejoice in the success of others, may all beings succeed, may I support their success. The contemplation of equanimity is this too shall pass. Great bank account, beautiful home, beautiful family, this too will pass. Living on the streets, financial collapse, this too will pass. This state of mind that I'm struggling with, this person, this situation, this too will pass. So, so all of these these qualities of the divine heart, they all work together. They all, Zajan Chah said, it's like a it's like a bell, you know, at the heart of each of them is emptiness, the practice of emptying. And then when we're in the relation field, as, as the heart becomes more attuned to the reality of the moment, when something touches us, it can respond from this place of authentic, divine, human, in its best potential, but if we fill ourselves up with stuff, you know, all sorts of stuff, and hold on tightly, and then something touches us, we can't, we, that heart in its unobstructed way can't respond so, so, so authentically.
So we can learn, we can explore where, where, you know, each of these we can develop. They're beautiful. We can contemplate them in relationship to our experience. We can contemplate the phrases and bring them to mind. We can um, really encourage ourselves in relationship to our experience to, to develop a heart that can withstand contact and respond in these loving compassionate, kind and joyful, serene ways. The practitioner suffuses the world in four directions, with a heart and mind of benevolence, above, below and all around. The whole world from all sides, completely with a benevolent, all-embracing, great, boundless, peaceful and friendly mind, just as a powerful conch blower makes themselves heard with no great effort in all four cardinal directions, so too is there no limit to the unfolding of heart through the liberating practice of benevolence. This is a way to the communion with the divine. So as we uh, practice today, um, pacing ourselves, each of these are just suggestions that we can bring into our practice. So Kilisara was guiding us yesterday to be able to sometimes just start with how we are, bringing these qualities to our own process, and then learning to radiate them out can do it more formlessly, the sense as is taught through the Brahmaviharas, front to the sides, behind, above, below, feeling that expanse, no contention. One can, pit, one can also focus on particularity, people, situations, things from our life, things from within the world. To just bring the power, this mind and heart, very powerful to bring the power of our focus informed by the Brahmaviharas to consider, contemplate. And as we do that, to do it as a meditative practice, so it's not just cognitive, we bring the awareness there, the breath there, touching that form, whether it's a mental form, feeling form, physical form, with this practice of, of wise attention. moment by moment, just this much, just here and now, little bit at a time. 